Hello, I'm back. Hey, it's episode 6 of the Broken Meeple podcast. Hi there. Sorry that it's been a while since episode 5. Unfortunately, my October cliche of Arkham Horror Month required a bit more effort and work than I gave it credit for when I first planned it. That was basically my task to review the base game along with all the expansions in detail, which involved not only playing all the expansions separately again, because I'd already done it before, but also writing up fairly detailed reviews with pictures and then explaining which expansions I recommended and why. If you look at the blog, you'll see the reviews listed, or if you're on Board Game Geek, you can look up the games individually and find my reviews on there because I post duplicate reviews on Board Game Geek just so it, people are aware of them. Now, Arkham Horror Month is now over and it was a good success. I got a lot of good f- feedback on Board Game Geek from people who read those reviews and I did enjoy doing it. I mean, I enjoy Arkham Horror, so I have no problem with playing the games over again, but it did require a lot of time on my part to do the writing, so I didn't have enough time to get on with reviewing other games or doing a podcast even with just first impressions or something because it really was sucking up my time and in the last week of October to make it even harder I was away for a week with some friends in the Lake District so technically I had to do this in the space of three weeks. It was not easy I can tell you and I think it will be a long time before I decide I'm going to do anything like that again. Hopefully there won't be another game that has eight expansions for me to review. But That's all done and dusted, October is over, we're in November. So, there's more to come, we're back to normal, there's going to be the regular podcast as it is now, and there will be reviews of some more diverse games coming up, and basically as events get held or new developments arise, then obviously I will report on those. Now, just to give you a quick glimpse of what is likely to be coming up in November time, uh, reviews are going to include some fairly good staple games that people are should be aware of in today's day. Some being party games such as Dixit, others will include gateway games such as Ticket to Ride Europe, in which I'm going to compare my experience with that game against Ticket to Ride USA, which I played originally before I decided, hmm, I like this, I'm going to buy it. We're also going to be reviewing the new game by Asmodee Spirium, which only came out a couple of months ago, I believe, but is quite a nice little Euro game with a surprising amount of depth for the cheap price tag of 20 quid. There'll be more on that when I do that review later. And we've also got, because I'm trying to keep some reviews current, you know, I like to review games that are popular or games that people are aware of and are concerned about, but I also want to get some up-to-date reviews as well, otherwise you're going to think the podcast is a bit outdated. So I'm including one or two new games such as Spirium, but I've also got the expansions to King of Tokyo to review on the site in November, which is going to include Power Up, but also the new Halloween expansion, which people have been asking me about. I got to play it twice at my Southampton group only last Monday to try out the two characters, the evolutions, how costumes work. Uh, but more on that in that review. But that's all going to come up in the weeks to come. Obviously, the podcast will still be kept up to date. And I'll let you know more as time goes on. But for now, let's get on with episode 6. First thing I'm going to talk about is Last Night on Earth. Now, you might remember from listening to an earlier podcast that I've already given my first impression of Last Night on Earth, in which I gave it a kind of meh type of review of it. You know, not brilliant, but not bad either. 
I've got to play that a second time, but from another perspective, because the first time I played it with the survivors, and we did a almost a classic Left 4 Dead style scenario where we had to fill up the gas in the truck and drive off. So a very typical zombie scenario. This time I got to play from the perspective of the zombies. Same number of players, six, so four survivors, two zombies. But we had the scenario with the manor house, which involves you having to basically stop a horde of zombies getting into the manor house, otherwise you lose. Now, when I, like I said, I gave this a meh review when I did it first. My first impressions have somewhat changed after the second game. And I feel it's changed to such a degree that I don't think my first review gives it... I was going to say give it credit. No, it gives it the, the slating I think it now deserves. What exactly do I mean? Well, playing as the zombies gave me more perspective as to what is wrong with the game. And one of the biggest things that's wrong with the game is there are some really stupid rules in this game thematically that just don't make sense. Some people have commented that zombie side has that issue, but I've noticed a few in here that really just wound me up and boggled my mind when I heard about these. For starters, zombies. Now, the whole point of a zombie is that it's weight by numbers. They're not individually strong, but you get loads of them in one group and there's nothing you can do. You will be overwhelmed. There's no rule in this game that counts for outnumbering. So you could have 10 zombies on one person, and yeah, they may get separate attacks, but they'll all be rubbish. So the human, if he's got just a basic weapon, could probably fend them off pretty easily. And this was proven, as I'll explain later on. Secondly, uh, apparently, you can shoot a shotgun into a space with two zombies and one survivor, and mysteriously, by magic, the survivor doesn't get hit by any of the bullets. I'm sorry, it's a shotgun. It bursts open and sends big pellets around in a wide area and rips through people. There is no way that a shotgun can magically dodge a survivor if he's been entangled with two zombies. That did not make sense when that happened to us. Thirdly, what, oh, what else have we got? Uh, oh yeah, the fact that the unsatiable lust rule, that zombies will always move to an adjacent space if there's a survivor in it. Now that makes a reasonable amount of sense, yes, okay, you know, they're, they're only concerned with getting food, brains, whatever you want to call it, and naturally they are prone to do that. But in this game, because the zombies... Uh, uh, me and a teammate were winning so quickly, you know, we had like seven zombies in the house pretty quickly when I turned four, they decided that their best plan, or the only plan they could come up with, was to park themselves outside the manor house, drag all the zombies out with insatiable lust, and then just tank them across the map. When do you see that happen in a zombie film? If there's a horde of zombies, you run. You run the hell away from the zombies. You do not suddenly go up to the zombies and go, hey, look at me, look at me, food, you know, free buffet, and expect the zombies to follow you and you to survive. I'll explain a little bit more about this in a minute because I'm going to get to this point last because this really did my head in. Also, apparently, line of sight means nothing in this game. You can apparently have your two, your big zombie behind another zombie and the player can decide he's going to shoot the zombie behind the first one. How? What, is he the... I forget his name, but is he the bloke from Wanted? You know, could he curve bullets all of a sudden? I don't think so. If you're going to shoot, there's a zombie in the way. You've got a chance, at least a chance, of hitting that zombie. 
I don't mind if you say that there's a die roll and you say, right, there's a percentage chance you might hit the person in front, but you can't just curve your bullet around the first one and then suddenly say, right, that's fine. Especially when it's a survivor. You know, <laughs> you know, maybe it was a, well, I suppose it was a film made by Yui Ball, um, the bloke who makes really horrible films like, uh, I'm Afraid of the Dark, no, not Afraid of the Dark, Alone in the Dark, and, House of the Dead and stuff like that, you know, but basically really bad films based on video games. But only he would come up with something ridiculous in that sort of thematic concept. So basically there's a few rules that really detract from the theme of it. But then also the scenario detracts from the theme as well. The manor house. Now, filling up the truck with gas and getting out of the, the village and avoiding the zombies is thematic. That's what you would do in the zombie apocalypse. It happens in pretty much every film and series. But the manor house? Stop nine zombies from getting into the house at any one time, otherwise you lose. Why? What's so, be- what's so great about this manor house? You know, in Resident Evil, the first thing you wanted to do was get out of the manor house, not stop things getting in it. And it was just weird because you just don't stay in the manor house. You literally go, right, we're starting here, or in bits around, and right, let's all get out of the manor house and go find weapons. So you just leave it empty anyway. The zombies march towards the manor house and basically have a dance rave party in there whilst all the survivors go off and do other things. And just because a certain amount get into the manor house, why does that mean you lose? If they're all trying to get into this manor house to have their own rave party or something, why don't you guys get out of there, you know? Why don't the survivors run? I don't see what's so special about this manor house. It just didn't make any thematic sense. But the other thing that also gets me with this game, and this is the big one, is the amount of luck in it. Now... Dice hate me. They just do. Uh, I don't mind luck games. I mean, I got Kino Tokyo, and that's a pretty luck-based game. You know, and even certain other games like Survive, Escape from Atlantis, is quite luck-based. You know, so I do like some of those games, if they're fun and make sense. And also, the, the luck must not completely cripple you, you know, throughout the entire game if you do something wrong. Now, with Last Night on Earth, there is so much die rolling, particularly for combat, that... The game can drag on to such an extent if the dice just do badly for you. And this is how bad it got. We should have won by about turn 5. Okay, we did that well and the survivors did that rubbish. We won by the skin of our teeth on the very last turn purely because of the aforementioned rule where people parked outside the manor and tanked the zombies. They were able to do this against at least 6 or 7 zombies apiece around that figure, it was only one of them had six or seven, the others probably about two or three, and because a die rolls were just so bad in combat, like, I, I mean, I trust me, I counted, 36 rolls of a die, I did not roll anything above four, and most of those rolls were three and under. I just could not do anything, it, the dice just completely screwed me for the whole game, um, there's the card that allows a zombie to move d6 spaces. I rolled one five times in a row. No joking. One five times in a row. And because of this, we should have won the game ages ago, but these survivors were able to do the most stupid tactic in the world and get away with it purely because of bad die luck. So for me, the whole theme of Last Night on Earth just completely dissolved into this horrific, horrific zombie puzzle. <laughs> you know... That it just really 
made me realise that there is a lot of problems with this game, and to the extent that I will not play this game again, most likely. If you push me hard enough, I may play it, but only as a survivor. Because the other problem is that zombie play, playing the zombie, you would hope, would be the fun part. It's not. It's really boring. All you do each turn is move a counter, move a few zombies one space, occasionally make a combat roll, which is literally just rolling two dying, that's it, and draw two cards. You're only allowed two cards. Most of them are repeated, so there's not much variation. Um, this is just the base game. Maybe it changes when you buy an expansion. But for me, this was the base game, so there wasn't a lot in there. And that's it. You just play a card, move a few zombies one space. You can't really cooperate with your other zombie mate. At least not to a great extent. You know, there's only so much you can do. So playing the zombie team is actually quite repetitive and drags on. And especially when we had the bad luck and the game lasted at least about eight turns longer than it should have. You know, it was just a major downer for me. So I'm going to change my opinion on Last Night on Earth after a second play. I don't think this is a great zombie game. It might appeal to some people who literally just want a light zombie game, but I think for the setup time, the cost, and just the sheer weirdness of it, no thematic rule for outnumbering or line of sight or anything like that, yet they have a rule in there for tossing a lighter onto a gas can in order to set it alight. So they can come up with detailed stuff like that, but they can't think of outnumbering or line of sight. You know, fail, basically. So, I don't recommend this game, and it's unlikely I'm going to play it again. Last Night on Earth. Wish I'd never played it twice. Okay. Back to first impressions now. I've got two games to talk about today, and sorry to sound a bit more on a negative note, I'm going to start with the bad one of the two in the list. Now, when I say bad, I don't mean it's a horrible game. Half of it is great. Half of it isn't. Now, you might have heard that definition about a certain game that Z Garcia of Dice Tower fame doesn't like. So if you haven't guessed it by now, I'm talking about Galaxy Trucker. Now, this is a game by Czech games that basically is not really much of a competition game. It's more of a light-hearted game where you spend the first half building a spaceship out of various tiles that are just literally piled up in the middle of the table, and you have to collect them and build your ship frantically to a timer that people can mess around with, and you have to get bits to match, and if they don't, they just fall off. And once you've got your spaceship, the second half of the game is to draw cards from the deck over three different years, or ages, whatever they call them, and basically watch as your ship falls apart. It will get battered by meteorites, it will get attacked by pirates, it will get, like, it will get meet planets, get a chance to leave crew on space stations, that kind of thing, it will get infections. So there's all sorts of weird, nasty stuff that can happen to your ship. And it is quite funny to have the ship just randomly blow off in places, especially when it's, like, one of those almost like a load-bearing part of the spaceship, where if it gets taken out, your whole ship breaks in half. You know, that is hilarious. But I still didn't like the game overall, and I think there might be more to the fact that I do have this problem with, you know, I, I like to be in sort of control of what I'm doing. I accept that there's a bit of luck in games like Kina Tokyo and that, and it's like, fair enough, if they're designed to be that way. Just some element of control, because even in Kina Tokyo, once you roll the die, you can decide whether you're going to re-roll or do what you want with them. You can decide whether you want to go in Tokyo or come out, so you've got decisions to make. Here, you have pretty not much decision to make. And my biggest problem with this game is the first half, 
where you're building the spaceship. Most people like it the other way around. I personally love the bit where things batter your ship and it gets taken to bits because it's just funny. It's not really meant to be a competition. You can't say, oh, I did better at this than the other player. It's just literally sit there, take it, and laugh your head off when all this bad stuff happens to people. And I did. I mean, we had a good lot of fun doing that part. But the first half where you're grabbing stuff to the timer, we got taught this game by someone who'd only played it about once or twice, so it was difficult for him to explain what anything did. And a lot of the tiles look very similar to each other, so you don't actually, you can't tell in a hurry, wait a minute, is that, uh, I don't know, is that engine power? Is that the laser? I'm not sure. Is that the power that boosts the laser? I don't know. And it just gets really, you get this cuffuddled mess in the middle of the table where everyone is frantically pulling in their arms, a bit like hungry, hungry hippos or something, to grab these tiles, look at them, and see whether they get placed on the board. And there are rules to say that you can't pick it up and just look at it. You have to take it back, stick it in the storage space and that. But who's doing that when you're frantically against a timer? So people are, you might as well just say everyone's cheating halfway, all the way through just to frantically grab these tiles. But if you don't know what the tiles do instinctively and the second you pick them up, and if you're unlucky with the connections, because you have to get like um, singular dual or tri connections between all the parts, otherwise it doesn't work. Then, as I found, you can literally spend time grabbing tiles, not being able to put them down because they won't legally fit, timer runs out, and your ship is useless. It's like got one bit that will blow the whole thing apart, or it hasn't got enough crew or engines or anything. And then when you do the second half of the game, it's ruined because you know that you're just not going to survive. And once your ship gets blown up, yes, you come back in the next round, but if you die early in the first bits of that round, you've just got to sit there and just watch everyone else. And okay, that's fun to an extent, but you know, you sort of feel a bit let down that you spent all this time frantically trying to build a ship, had difficulty doing it, and then you have to pretty much just sit there and wait. Almost a bit like too much downtime for my liking. So it's, it's hard to sum up this game. If you really just want a game where it's a bit of a laugh, you don't mind the timed aspect of building the ship, and you just want to see bad stuff happen to good people, well, bad people, it depends. Depends who you're playing with. Then this game could be a bit of fun for you. Maybe it's better with some of the expansions. I think we had one expansion in there, but I think all it did was just add a few extra cards and uh, some extra tiles it could put down. And to be honest, I would probably recommend not getting the expansion to begin with. There was too many different parts for us to learn. I think if you get used to the base game, then you can add the occasional extra bits easier. Although some might disagree, they might just say get everything and just learn it, which, you know, may work for some. Personally, I just had a bit of trouble trying to distinguish what was what. You know, I'm not colorblind, but they're not very clear. It would be nice if they actually wrote on them laser or laser booster or engine or something like that. You know, just to make it a little bit clearer. I know maybe that would have looked a bit naff on the tiles, but still, it was just a bit difficult to build the ship. And a lot of the times, you can have a really good ship purely by luck. You know, you just happen to pick up the tiles that worked. Me, like I say, luck hates me in all respects. So every time I pick up a tile, it can't fit. So it was just a bit problematic for me. So I might play this game again, but I think that first half of the game ruins it for me. If they could streamline that to an extent, then maybe I would prefer it. But the second half of the game, despite being as funny as it can be, isn't enough to make me want to like this game. So, I mean, I'd give it a, a meh rating as well. I'll play it, but I'm not overly fascinated with it. That's Galaxy Trucker by Czech Games. Check it out if you just want a quick laugh, but if you want to be in control of your own little world, then probably avoid it.
Okay, coming up to the second and last first impression for today. Um, I've had two games that I've given a little bit of a slating, one more than the other, but thankfully you'll be pleased to know it's not all doom and gloom this one. We've now got a good one here, or at least a fairly good one. I won't say outstanding, but just to give it a little background, this is a cooperative game. Pretty much everybody on the Dice Tower adores this game, particularly Sam Healy. It's not that recent a game. It's been out for quite a while by Days of Wonder. Play. I think it was the first game to introduce this notion that there might be a traitor in the mix of good players. So if you haven't guessed by now, this is Shadows Over Camelot by Days of Wonder. And I'd been wanting to play this game for so long, but nobody I knew owned it until one person brought it into the Southampton Club and finally I got to play it. I was eager to try it out. And I think we even had the maximum players available, but... Probably was six, I don't know, maybe it was only five, but we had a fair amount of players, so we had one traitor, four good guys, and I was quite impressed. I mean, it looked gorgeous. The Days of Wonder, their production values are through the roof when it comes to making it. I don't know whether they actually do spend tons of money on the games, but they certainly know how to make them bright and colourful and just look nice. When you've got this board set up, you just want to stare at it for a while. It's very beautiful. And even the cards and the various little, little miniatures and that themselves are very well done as well. Unfortunately, the miniatures aren't painted ones. You have to basically be a painter and do it yourself a bit like Games Workshop and that. So it wouldn't work for me in that respect. But, you know, you can buy pre-painted ones from eBay, people that have done it. And if you've got some experience with wargaming miniatures, then, oh well, perfect opportunity for you to paint some, effectively, Knights of the Round Table and, like, Saxons and things like that in decent colour scheme, so by all means, give it a shot. Now, the, the way the game works is that you have three ways you can lose. You can, you're in the castle and there are catapults being set out outside bombarding the castle. If you get a certain amount of catapults on the table, you lose. Um, there is also a the t round table itself, which is filled up with white and black swords as the game goes on. If you get more black swords than white, you lose. So, standard issue there. I think that's... Oh, yes, and basically you've got life points, so if you all lose all your life, you die, you fail. So, standard three ways of losing there. The way you win is that you have these various little side quests dotted all over the map. One to find Excalibur, one to get the Holy Grail, one to beat back the Saxons, one to fight Lancelot, one to defeat the Dark Knight, those kind of things. And you have to decide where you're going to go on these quests. And when you get to those quests, there are certain ways to beat them. Most of them involve playing cards. The Holy Grail involves you putting a Holy Grail card down and eliminating all the despair cards that come out. Uh, Saxons, and I can't remember the other one, but there's two which basically involve beating back forces that are coming into land and, and stopping you. And then you've got the Black Knight and Lancelot, which involve playing cards in order to fight them off. Now, most of these ha cards you play are pretty much just fight cards with a value on them. And sometimes you're trying to get a set of a couple of numbers, or you're trying to get a straight. So it's effectively you're just playing poker hands, essentially. Which is a little bit of a downer on my part. I would have liked it to be a little bit more thematic. But it's a simple game, and I think it was ideally meant for families. So they need to keep it fairly simple. And it is. Very easy to teach, and very easy to play. You should have no problem with people not understanding what they're doing, or analysis paralysis in this game, even. It's not difficult to think of what to do next. Again... With these cards, you play them, and if you complete the quest, you get a reward and some white swords to go around the table. If you fail them, then you get a negative 
thing like catapults will get added and black swords will go around the table. This carries on throughout the whole game, but what the traitor is trying to do is that this is a hidden traitor from everybody else. Only the person who is the traitor knows he is one. And throughout the game, he's got to subtly try and hinder the progress of the other players without getting found out. They can accuse him at any time at the round table, and if they get it right, they get a white sword. If they fail, they get a black sword. So they can't just do it willy-nilly. If he gets found out, then he basically becomes a traitor officially and gets different ways of playing the game. But otherwise, he acts in the same way as a normal good knight. And being the traitor is the most fun thing you can do in this game. I mean, I played it as a... I was a good guy, and I enjoyed it a lot. But I wish I was a traitor. You get to subtly mess with people's heads. You get to lie about cards you put down face down because uh, putting certain cards face down or face up has other benefits. You can act a little selfishly, but obviously if you act too selfishly, you'll get found out. And the guy who was the traitor, credit to him, he managed to win by one sword at the very end of the game purely because nobody found out he was a traitor by the end. It was... A fun game. I really enjoyed it. Would I own it? Probably not, because my downer with it is that it's just playing poker hands. There's not a huge amount of theme in that aspect. Another thing that this is more nitpicky, but you also you can't say to people what cards you've got. Now that that makes sense a little bit thematically, but instead you're saying weird stuff like you know, like, oh, I'll put this card face down to fight, and this is raising the Dark Knight's power or something. And people can ask you how much was it, but you can't just say it was a five or a three. You have to say it's huge or it's the best that can be or the worst possible outcome or something, and it's just like okay slightly random. I mean, you're getting the same message across, but you're just talking in a weird manner. I suppose it is there to bump up the theme a little bit, but I just found that a bit weird. So other than that and the poker hands, you know, I would give this game a good thumbs up and say, particularly if you're trying to get people into co-op games as a gateway, then certainly give this one a look. And if you've got families in particular, I think kids would go for it easily enough. It's not difficult for a kid to learn. Just doing little poker hands would be easy enough for kids. It looks beautiful, so the kid's got nice things to look at. And I think it could work. And, you know, just make sure your family's not too dysfunctional if you're going to stick a traitor in there. But the traitor aspect, I think, is what makes this game. Because you never know, until you get the accusation right, who the traitor is. So until that point, you are suspiciously looking at everybody else going, mm, You, you, ooh, you won't lose a life. Ooh, ooh, traitor. And to be honest, you pretty much accuse someone to be the traitor like instantly before the game starts, just if you know the person at the club. I mean, we got one or two in Southampton that I think, I don't know how the reputation was built up, I think it was after several games of Avalon Resistance, where we pretty much just assume they're always evil. So no matter how much they d deny the prospect. So before the game's even started, we're going, right, well, he's like, he's evil. <laughs> I bet he is. <laughs> and I turned out to be wrong, to my detriment, annoyingly. So, but... It is great having that aspect because no one trusts anybody. <laughs> you know, as soon as anybody does anything remotely selfish, then they've got a big black mark over their head and people will think they're the traitor. And it's just great when you're randomly pointing the finger at others before you're, but still not willing to do the actual accusation. So that really makes the game. I think if the game didn't have the traitor aspect, I don't think I would like it as much. I think that traitor aspect makes this game. And you know, they've brought that aspect into things like Battlestar Galactica now, which is a very popular sci-fi game, but uses the same concept. Other games like Panic Station and slightly smaller ones like that have also used this concept to good effect. 
And another thing I like with this game, actually, I'm reading over the rules, there is a way that you can effectively put people in the game even when you're playing it. I, basically, if you've already started and someone turns up late, you can dish them out a player on a card and they can join the game. I've never seen any other game do that. Tell me in the comments. Tell me on Twitter if you know of any other game that does this. But I don't know of any other game where people can join in while the game is on in this sort of context. That is a unique concept in its own regard. I've never seen anyone do this. I'm really surprised. I think some games would really benefit from that because you always get someone turn up late to the Gates Club. Um, Gates? Games Club. And, you know, having that feature in there just is such a big help. So let me know if you know of any other games like that because I'd be liking to look at those and find out more on those. But overall, like I say, we've had two negative first impression reviews here. This is a good one. Shadows Over Camelot. If you get a chance to play it, I highly recommend it. There we are, that's episode 6 over and done with. Yes, it's been slightly negative, but we had a good review at the end, and I've got more first impressions to come in future episodes, including a weird game called Gears and Pistons, which I could not even find on BoardGameGeek when I did a search for it, so God knows where that's come from. And also, there'll be other first impressions as I play them coming along. I hope to also do a few more discussions about various board gaming topics over time, and obviously, if you check the blog from time to time, there's going to be more reviews coming out, more diverse mix of games. Uh, I need to catch up with a few reviews that I've been wanting to do for a while, like Survive and the expansions to Cosmic Encounter, that kind of thing. Um, so, basically, business as usual, we're back to normal, there's no cliche for Christmas or anything like that. I'm not going to do weird Christmas shopping things, you know, because you know about that kind of thing already. It's going to be getting back to reviewing a good mix of games and doing the regular podcast. However, I suppose I will try and insert one or two big Euros into the mix at some point as well. Um, I own Agricola and I really like it and I would like to get that one reviewed at some stage, particularly as I've pimped it out a bit. And also, new in my collection, if you look at my photos, you might notice that Terra Mystica has now finally been released in a new print. Uh, well, new print is back in stock. And... I've only played this game once, I loved it, and this is a heavy Euro. I don't normally buy heavy Euros, because even Agricola is not too heavy. I'd call it medium weight, really, I wouldn't say it was too heavy. But Terra Mystica is a heavy Euro, and I normally wouldn't buy it, but I just got stuck to this game when I played it. Okay, the theme is a tiny bit tacked on, but it just works. The mechanics work, it's fun, you've got a lot of decisions to make, different ways to win, variable... Uh, bonuses during the game, what time they come and how they work. It's I, I was impressed when I did this as a first impression game, and I think I've already given a first impression of this game um, on an earlier podcast. But failing that, I'm going to be doing a full review of Terra Mystica at some point in the future. I suspect by the time I've got a chance to play it some more and get a really good idea of it, um, it will probably happen at some point in December. So keep your eyes for that. But for now, this is Luke Hector at The Broken Meeple, Episode 6, signing off. Thank you for listening and playing games, and I'll catch you soon.